Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Overland Trail Guides podcast. My name is Ben. I will be your host today. Today is episode 16. We're going to be talking about the Hawaii Canyonlands in eastern Oregon and southern Idaho, and I guess northern northern Nevada too. Um, and of course, on this ep- on this uh, particular podcast, we like to talk about adventures on the trail. We're going to be talking about the Hawaii Canyonlands today, but a little bit of background about Overland Trail Guides. Go to the website, www.overlandtrailguides.com. The website features thousands of miles of curated overland routes in Canada, the United States, as well as Mexico. Uh, The best way to support us uh, is to get a subscription on the website, or you can click on that Patreon link and make a donation there. And of course, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, whether you're on Spotify, iTunes, or if you're watching us on YouTube. And like I said, we're going to be talking about the Hawaii Canyonlands. We have a route featured on the website. It is called the Hawaii Discovery Trail. It is 218 miles in length if you do the entire trail. Uh, As far as the recommended vehicle, we do recommend a stock 4x4. All terrains or mud terrains are always recommended when you're traveling on dirt. Uh, We do have a new adventure badge as well. It's in Leslie Gulch. We're definitely going to talk about that particular trail in that particular area today. And like I said before, everything as far as the route, uh, details, maps, uh, description can be found at overlandtrailguides.com. But today we have a very special guest coming all the way from uh, Portland, Oregon, Matthew Mangus. Uh, Welcome to the show, Matthew. Hey, Ben. Good to be with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm so stoked to have you on the show. I know uh, you've been going to the Hawaii for a while, but before we get into the Hawaii Canyonlands, why don't you give us a little bit of information about yourself, um, how long you've been doing this backcountry travel, um, how long you've been going out to the Hawaii, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about your business and maybe we can jump into kind of the, the partnership that we've been talking about in regards to uh, the tours that you're doing these days too. Right on. Um, well, I've been doing backcountry cra- travel since I was a toddler. Um, I had a, a mother in a, in a Volkswagen van uh, traveling throughout the West, and that kind of gave me the the wanderlust. And so, as I've as I've grown, that is, uh, and, and you know, gone into my career and, and raised my family, that has transitioned from different things. Whether it would be, you know doing bigger hikes when I was younger or racing mountain bikes or camping with my family. And, um, over the years, uh, I've transitioned my career, um, into one that does a lot of work outdoors. And so I run uh, Mangai Roland, which is a experiential and content agency that shoots content out in the wild for businesses and brands in the outdoor industry, the automotive uh, accessories industries, devices industries. And that allows me to spend a lot of my time playing and working in in the wild. Um, big part of my role is to do the scouting and find the, the places where we're going to do shoots and sometimes to, to lead a crew out and do the creative direction. And so when I'm, when I'm out, um, whether I'm working or whether I'm just exploring on my own, I'm often tr- trying to find, you know, something new and interesting and not just revisit the, the same places I've been to year in and year out. Um, and so I'm, I'm blessed in that way that I get to play a lot. And I get to spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, I've been in 
the Portland area since 2004. Uh, we moved over to Portland from Boston. And we had our first child. Uh, and we knew we needed to to relocate. Living in downtown Boston was going to be challenging raising a family. Uh, and so since we got out here in, in the middle mid 2000s, I've been busily exploring uh, the West. And now our, our business uh, runs multiple trips a year with our with our clients and with other enthusiasts who want to come along with us throughout uh, the western us from the rockies to the pacific up into british columbia and and down through the the length of the baja peninsula um, i get to spend about 40 to 50 nights a year on average in a tent and it's it's been i've been averaging those numbers for about six or seven years straight now um, I get to enjoy a lot of time outdoors and, uh, I'm always looking to, you know, discover something new. And that's kind of what led me to finding Overland Trail Guides, uh, last year sometime was doing some research on, on a different place and, and stumbled across, uh, the resource and immediately, you know, took to it because you, you've got a lot to offer, uh, your followers. Yeah. And, and, you know, to kind of piggyback on what you've been saying, uh, Matthew brings a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I know he has a, a ton of knowledge uh, in the Pacific Northwest, but just your business in all these different locations that you're shooting. I know you have a lot of knowledge. You run a Facebook group uh, down in Baja, and we're always kind of talking about stuff like that as well. I definitely need to get down there soon. Um, but one of the things that we have been talking about, and this is this is not solidified. This is just kind of a Matthew and I have been talking about it is how can we collaborate and, and do the tours. So like you said, Mingai Roland is offering tours and we're trying to see maybe how we can join forces. So definitely pay attention to the website uh, on, on terms of that. It is a work in progress, but um, I'm hoping we can make something work out there. Uh, but what do you, what are you driving these days? So I'm, um, I'm, a nerd in a couple different ways. Um, one, I'm a professed map, map nerd. I spend a lot of time digging around in maps. Touche, touche. But and the other, and the other part of that for me is is Land Cruisers. Um, yep, I'm a cruiser head, so I currently have four of them. Um, I spend you most. Got, of my I did not know you had four. <laughs> yeah, I just see yeah. the hundred series. Okay, yeah, hit I, me. I spend most of my time in one of two hundred series. I have two O threes. Um, one that I keep in Baja for for work down there and, and in the desert southwest. And um, and then one I keep up in the Pacific Northwest. Sometimes I'll swap them back and forth mm -hmm. and have uh, have a mechanic uh, down in Baja do some work on, on my Northwest rig while I bring one, the other one north. Um, and then I've got my my original Land Cruiser was a uh, or is a uh, 1973 that I've had since 1996 or so. Is that a 40 uh, series or would that be like yeah, uh, FJ 40? It is. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to think and when did they go to the 55? 55 started in the, uh, in the mid seventies, but it kind of okay. ran side by side with the yeah. FJ 40. Um, and then they switched to the FJ 60 in, in 83. Yep. Um, <clears throat> that one spent a bunch of time out East. And so is, I got some pretty serious rot. Mm. So it's, it's down in Baja now uh, getting ready to go under the knife 
and uh, get some get some body work done to it, and then eventually get repainted. Um, and then I've got my wife in a uh, in a GX four seventy or a oh. or, or a Prado oh. everywhere else. Yes, yeah. So you got the rest mobile back east. You got the Baja one probably filled with sand and the Pacific Northwest smelling like mold. Is that what we got going on there? Yeah, you know, uh, in the Northwest, uh, they, they start growing moss on their own real quickly. Yeah. Yeah, you right. Know, and that's, that's just part of it. And, you know, I, I, have uh, a... I, had, I had a water intrusion issue in the Baja one uh, for a little while, and that's why I felt like, hey, if I just send it south and it's, it's always dry down there, I don't have to worry about it. Definitely. I, I have a random question before we kind of get into the Hawaii Canyon lands, because I'm sure people are eager about that. I've been seeing, um, I know when I originally researched this route, it didn't seem like there was as much press out there, but it definitely seems like it's, it's kind of been building recently. And I don't know if that's just confirmation bias of me watching videos and looking at, at Instagram feeds or if it's actually happening. Uh, but before we hit that, I've been having this crazy idea. So I just got a, I got the Ram 3500. I have an LX Force, LX570, which is essentially a 200 series Land right. Cruiser. Uh, unfortunately, that, that's that got to go to kind of pay off the RAM and everything like that. <laughs> but I have a crazy idea of getting a GX. And then, you know, um, maybe once these engines get a little bit older, so the new Tundra, the new LX600, the Land Cruiser, they're all using the essentially a modified version of the LS500. I forget what the exact model name is. It's the 3.44 four twin turbo v6 um i'm like could i could i take that once you know five years down the road once these ls 500s are a little bit older and it's a hundred thousand dollar car could i take that engine and drop it into a gx because it's lighter it's smaller um i haven't looked at the mechanics if that could be done but to have a gx that actually gets better than 10 miles a gallon on the trail with more oomph. I mean, it already has some pretty good oomph. It's got a, it's got a V8 in there, but that seems like it would be a, a rad concept. It, it is, and it will be possible. The thing you're going to be looking at is, is weight. The minute we start over overloading these trucks with overland builds, we really start to stress the engine and the drivetrain. And so like um, Dakar Tundra is doing a beautiful build right now on a on a troopy um and he dropped a um he dropped a lexus v8 into it um one of the smaller ones out of i forget which which sports car the sc 400 maybe mm-hmm. um and while you know it's gonna it's gonna perform uh well it's a strong engine you got to be considerate of then how much weight you're putting onto the build. So it's lighter, right? It's a 3.4 liter versus a 4.6 or 4.7. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It's lighter and, and, you know, they, they're still plenty strong, but you're going to be thinking about, okay, not only the mechanics, the of distribution, it, mate, but yep. weight distribution and that kind mm-hmm. of performance, you know, a lot of people want to have um, the twin turbo diesels, that Toyota sells in the rest of the world. And those that drive them talk about it being a mixed bag about, you know, um, yes, they're more fuel efficient. Yes, they're reliable. They'll putter along forever, um, but you don't get the same performance. You can't mash the pedal and jump around traffic the way we can with the big V8. So it's a trade-off like everything. Like everything. All right, and enough 
gear talk. Let's get into the Waiye Canyon lands. Maybe you can kind of set the table. I did let our, our listeners know uh, the primary area that people are visiting is usually Eastern Oregon, Southern Idaho. I know it does extend into Northern Nevada, but it doesn't seem like most people are spending time in that area. Um, why don't you kind of get, let us know like what is the geography, the topography, the weather, what what can they expect when they go out there? I think a lot of people expect Oregon, um, you know, endless emerald forests and everything like that. But that's that's not the Hawaii's, <laughs> right? No, not at all. Not out there. Um, you know, once you get west of uh, the Cascade Range, you're in high desert. You know, mm. you're at 4,000 feet or so. And, um, you know, it's it's a lot of dry grasslands. And once you get over towards the um, Eastern Oregon, and Idaho border, you know, it's, there are some, some low mountain ranges, but they're, um, uh, they don't look very imposing, even though you can get up to nine, 10,000 feet because, uh, because the base elevations around you are between four and 5,000 feet. Um, so versus, you know, when I'm in Portland at, at close to sea level, Mount Hood yeah. looks, looks large, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, you're in Eastern Oregon, you've, you've got, the, the dry grasslands and come, you know, late spring, early summer, everything turns brown and, you know, it's, it's, it's warm or to hot and, um, and it's wide open. You know, there's a lot of grazing land, uh, a lot of um, uh, ranches that are then intermixed with um, various um, mineral kind of, uh, projects, whether it's, you know, um, mines, old mines, or whether it's, you know, new natural gas or so other type of, you know, um, mineral extraction kind of projects. Uh, the majority of the land around the Oahe Canyonlands is all uh, controlled by the BLM, other than some large very large uh, ranches. It's all controlled by the BLM. And a large majority of that land is uh, not so much designated as wilderness, but it's designated as, as WSAs. So that's the wilderness study areas, mm -hmm. which are the government's way of saying, we don't really know what we're going to do with this land yet. And we think it's worth saving for for all intents and purposes and not using. And so they just you know designated a WSA to largely keep people out of it unless they're traveling through on a designated corridor. And a lot of the older established roads are, are designated corridors. What that means is that you can go play and explore and recreate and hunt in those areas, but you're largely confined to um, keeping ve vehicles and bicycles or any mechanized equipment uh, on the roadbeds or, mm. or just off the roadbeds. Uh, so for for us as overlanders, you know, we're we're out um, in some of the most remote country in the lower 48. It's actually some of the darkest skies yep. in, in this part of the country. Uh, but at the same time, you are limited to where you can go. Uh, when you talk about not seeing a lot of that activity on the northern uh, northern Nevada section of the Canyonlands, a lot of that is really because to access those areas, you have to ford four or five river crossings. And that can really only be done in the late fall when the river mm -hmm. 
flow levels are down. Yeah. And and none of those are reliable because yeah. from year to year, those banks are going to change and they get such little use um, other than a couple of distinct locations that that river rafting outfits use as put in locations. Um, al almost everything else isn't used. Some of the larger ranches that are down in the far southeast corner of, of Oregon in that section of the Canyonlands, um, they actually fly in and out rather than drive because it's so wow. efficient. Yeah, there's a couple different ranches down there that have their own small uh, airstrips and they just fly yeah. out the ranch. And that's largely because a good portion of the year they, they can't drive in and out anyway. Mm -hmm. And um, and then, of course, it's, it just takes so much longer. Um, yeah, I think that that kind of hits on how remote some of the canyonlands are. Um, do you recall, I was reading recently, and I wish I wrote it down, but I didn't. Um, how many millions of acres are we talking? Okay, I have, it's over 2 million acres. Does that sound right in terms of the rough size? It does. Um, or I would say, you know, you could... You could look at that number in terms of what's officially the Canyonlands, but then you start to think about what's around it. There's all this other yep. land that's not necessarily totally. used as well. So, you know, that, that could probably double. Um, For sure. You know, and then yeah. interspersed in the Canyonlands, you've got, you've got uh, I-95 um, is cutting through it, or Highway 95, I guess, is cutting through it. I think that's what it. I came and down a couple of weeks ago. There's a couple ago. of small communities. Um, and then you've got some large ranch land tracks, like, for example, right in the middle of um, of the Canyonlands is a mountain called Ma Mahogany Mountain. And all of that acreage on the whole mountain is off limits. It's all gated and locked. Mm. Um, I had the good fortune to to get to know the, the rancher who owns that land a few years ago. And just by, you know being nice and explaining that we weren't hunters and that we were explorers and we weren't, we were, uh, having, you know, practicing a good ethics in terms of leaving no trace and what have you. Um, you know, he, he started to get to the point where he was inviting us to, to join him, uh, and to explore his property. But for the most part, those lands remain locked off. Um, you kind of have to, route out and around when you're traveling mm -hmm. from a place like uh, Birch Creek Ranch to get up to Leslie Gulch or something like that. Uh, you can't just go straight through. And so there's different sections uh, around the Canyonlands that are that are like that, where um, there's a bit of a patchwork where you have to mm -hmm. understand who the landowners are. A lot are of places. And yeah. where you get through. And that's becoming more and more common um, as as overlanding and you know uh, vehicle supported adventuring and hunting um are all kind of growing right now you know even prior to the pandemic we had a lot of growth in the outdoors and now the pandemic has just accelerated that yeah and so a natural reaction for a landowner if they're getting frustrated with people you know leaving gates open or letting their cows out or you know hunting on their land and scaring their livestock or or what have you, they're just going to lock the gates. And so we found that, you know, we have to be um, more diligent and doing research and checking in with the BLM office, the rangers there and seeing, you know, uh, what they know about routes through the area, 
or whether they know a, a landowner personally and whether they think we should, you know, would have good luck in contacting them and asking permission to access, um, you know, it just, it just means more work ahead of time. Yeah. And for those that are willing to do that, that's fine. But for a lot of people who are used to just driving out and exploring, you know, it's becoming harder and harder to do so. I, I think you hit on some really good points and you talked about uh, the WSA, the, the wilderness study areas earlier. Um, number one, it, it's leave no trace, you know, stay on the trail. You don't want to be that guy, especially at a national park that that's, we see it in Death Valley all the time. Somebody's driving on a playa. That's not BLM land. <laughs> you know, the rules are different in national parks, but even when you are, to, out, are out on BLM land, you know, your, your actions, even if nobody's there to witness you driving off the trail, you're leaving tracks, you know, especially in the YE, it's, it's very easy to see in these grasslands, if it's muddy, if it's wet, where people are driving off road and rangers take note of that. But I think even above and beyond that, you know, interacting, communicating with um, private landowners that you have good intent that you're going to respect the land, whether it's yours, it's their neighbors or the government's, that goes a long way. You know, I think um, they see the marks that people, maybe the good citizens don't leave behind, have like or somebody else out there say, hey, I'm spreading the good word here. We're going to take care of your land. I think it, it, it goes a long way, you know, because we hear more and more that uh, the public is unfortunately getting a, uh, locked out of places sometimes because you maybe maybe have somebody that's selfish and doesn't want to share their land but also because there are a lot of bad actors out there so that's right. it's really incumbent upon all of us to kind of uh be good samaritans be good representatives of uh kind of the outdoor recreationalist uh group that's that's very right that's very correct and you know one thing we find is no matter where we are no matter where i go no matter how small or how large of a group I'm with, we, we always find there's a, a hesitancy amongst rural locals to want to engage with what they see as the city folk, you know, and a lot of times they feel like they're being looked down upon by people who think they're better than them or who lead somehow a better life than they do, which often is almost exactly the opposite in reality. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, I found that the more you can engage and humanize a situation and get to know somebody, the, the more you can kind of start to understand that you've got some shared interests. And what I tend to try to do when I, whether I'm talking to a BLM ranger or a rancher, um, or just a general, you know, outdoor enthusiast who knows the area as a local, what I tend to try to do is try to understand where the where the friction points are, where people are coming in and overusing an area or doing damage to an area because they're not cleaning up after themselves or, you know, the driving where they shouldn't be. And by demonstrating and understanding and at least offering to you know, choose to go somewhere else. If, even if there's nothing else we can do to, to be a solution, sometimes it's mm -hmm. the right thing is just to choose to let an area um, get less use and, and we'll, we'll choose to recreate ourselves elsewhere. Um, you know, just having those conversations does go a long way. And Absolutely. the more I can encourage people to, you know, not just 
embrace a leave no trace uh, ethic, but to get even more active and engage in their communities and understand what the landowners or what the land managers are dealing with. You know, it helps it helps them then influence the people around them to, to be better yeah. stewards. Absolutely. Uh, I do want to get into some, some of the characteristics of the YEs. So um, I'm sure you know the history of it, but I'll kind of give a little bit of a, a little history lesson here. So it's named to honor, I think it was three to five Hawaiian trappers that had gone missing and were lost in the region in, in 1819. And uh, essentially, I, I guess the, the fur trapping party named the river and the the region after them where hawaii if you've ever been to hawaii and you, you hear people uh that live there and talk about it in california a lot of people say hawaii my wife has family over there so i kind of hear like the way that the locals say it's hawaii and yep. then when you hear hawaii it actually sounds extremely uh similar um the way that it sounds phonetically and so that's kind of where it comes from uh, it's a land of stunning canyons amidst colorful remnant volcanic features. I think there's a lot of rhyolite out there. There's definitely been some mines, oh, yeah. obviously lots of canyons and stuff out there. And we'll get into that. Uh, rolling sagebrush hills, kind of lower elevation mountains as far as uh, animals, um, fauna that you might see out there. Pronghorn antelope, bighorn sheep, badgers, horn lizards, rattlesnakes, of course. Um, I'm sure there's lots of raptors and, and birds and stuff out there as well. But what I'd love to do maybe, Matthew, is to kind of get into, maybe we can talk about some of the highlights. There's obviously the better known places like Leslie Gulch is probably one of the more photographed and more visited places. And maybe we can even talk about some of the lesser places, lesser, more out of the way places that, sure. uh, that maybe not as many people visit. So take it away. Sure. Yeah. Um, so like like many you know like many places there's a bit of a, a network or a spider web of connected or interconnected roads out there the primary routes lead to the more well-known locations like leslie gulch or or down into the canyon at, at um at birch canyon ranch mm -hmm. um or you know uh, there's a lava flow there that right on the one edge has an interesting crater they call uh, and cinder cone called coffee pot crater um, is that jordan craters um it's, that... it's near it's really close to there okay yeah, it's part of that um which is just outside of J the town of jordan valley mm -hmm. um so the primary routes lead through uh to those locations and those are well graded well established um, gravel roads and those are reliable year generally year round unless unless there's you know heavy snowfall or um, you know a, a bad storm uh, for the ex with the exception of birch creek because the dropping into that canyon is steep enough uh, that when it is muddy or when the weather's bad, if there's any ice, snow and ice, then it becomes inaccessible. Um, the, the, that is a BLM site and it's a historic site and the ranches down there have a, uh, uh, they've got a, a ranger or a watchman living there year round. And there are times where they can only get in and out on, um, ATVs or, or snowmobiles. Mm -hmm. um, but generally, the the main locations, the main you know kind of draws, 
in the Oahis, at least for the general public, for the stuff that's on, um, you know, on most of the the websites that are out there and that you see in most folks' videos, those are easily accessible. Because they're so accessible, and I and I mean it in that you can drive a minivan or a Prius to most of those sites. I dirt roads though, right? Like What's just that? a great, we're talking about like a graded BLM road. That's dirt, graded right? BLM dirt yeah. or cinder, cinder covered, you know, gravel roads. Um, generally because they are that easy to get to and they can get busy. I tend to avoid most of those locations. I'll drop into Birch Creek ranch and spend a night there. And it's, it is absolutely gorgeous, but I'll often ford the river and jump over to the West side. And in doing so, the only other people there are a few, a few hunters. Now, as far as fording the river, um, I assume that depends on, is that, are we talking late summer, early fall? Um, what's the situation there? Right. Because it kind of, it kind of runs through at least the Oregon side kind of runs through the middle, making it difficult to cross in many areas, unless you, you can ford the river, right? That's correct. Uh, the rivers really are only, um, the, the flows are low enough in the midsummer through the fall that that you can you can drive across um you know i every time i'm there the heights can be a little different um we always make a habit of you know not not uh, second guessing ourselves just because we've been there before we get out and wait across mm -hmm. see how deep it is see what the flow is like um and most you know most of the spots that people ford the rivers um through there um, there's numerous branches to the Oahe River. So, you know, they're, they're, those branches each have different names. And so, therefore, you have multiple rivers. Um, but each one of those locations that um, that has an active road going through and is a legal spot to ford, um, each one of those locations doesn't have a maintained bank. Um, mm. So you kind of have to, you know, kind of... Uh, get a good understanding of what's happened in the previous year, a couple of years since I've been there last, you know, what kind of weather events or flooding events have changed those banks and yeah. what does it look like. So it's a situation where I will tend to go deeper. Um, you know, one, one of my main mantras of, of why I've gotten into exploration and overlanding is, you know, is, is I'll, I'll tend to go deeper and stay longer. Um, and find those more remote places. And so with the Oahis, I like to do so. And in, in going down a more difficult route or fording a river, um, I'm shedding, you know, 80 to 90% of the other explorers who are in the area um, yeah. in, in a, to, to a situation there there's beyond their comfort level. Um, it's important as we're talking about fording rivers and as we're talking about that kind of exploration, it's important to know, though, or to note that um, there are situations in there where there's unclear land access. Um, it's, some of it is because the BLM doesn't do a great job at mapping or at sharing their map. Some of it's because... Uh, since they don't do a great job at sharing, then the mapping software uh, companies such like Gaia or Onyx um, or even OTG is getting data that is not necessarily correct. 
Um, it's, it's a situation where there's a lot of confusion yeah. and, and then also there's situations in the Oahe, especially where locals or hunters, regional hunters will rip down signage because they don't want to be told they can't go into an area. Um, so there's like, for example, a very popular, uh, spot in the Oahe Canyonlands is a hot springs called three forks. It's actually yep. just a warm springs. It's not very hot, um, but it's a beautiful spot with a with a warm waterfall, and the the popular spot to ford the river and camp on the riverbank is technically illegal because the road adjacent to it that leads up to the west side of the canyon has been officially closed for I don't know more than ten years now, um, and the locals often just rip down the signs. Yeah, uh, in the six or seven times I've been there. Over the last few years, I've only seen the signs up once. Um, and, you know, that's it's somewhat common for that to happen, especially in areas that are so vast that it's impossible for totally. the, the rangers to, to, to manage and police. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, that, that information, especially with the BLM, is not always readily accessible. But I think when you do find out about something... Um, you know, it, it's up to you to be a responsible citizen and, uh, you know, nobody wants to be, nobody wants to be told what to do on the trail. I think there's a way to kind of spread the news without kind of being that, uh, hall monitor or, exactly. or, Nazi or whatever you want to say. <laughs> nobody likes that person, right? There are ways to do it without coming off like an a-hole, but, uh, we definitely all have that responsibility. So you talked about the hot springs. What about recreation down at the river? Um, I, I believe the Waihi is a tributary of the Snake River, right? I think that's what it feeds into. Yes. Which yes, is obviously a big river in, in, in Idaho. So I assume there's probably trout fishing. Uh, what what sort of aquatic activities are so people? So Waihi and, it, and its branches um, are running south to north. So mm. they're dumping to the north into the Wahi Reservoir. So that's a yep. dammed, dammed reservoir. So my understanding is most of the fishing is happening to the north of the dam. Okay. Um, I do see when I, I'm not a fisherman, but I do see fly fishermen in the area. So when I'm down in the canyons, so there must be something there. Um, and then in terms of water recreation, um, during the spring months, there's river rafting outfits running uh, running rubber boats through through there. It's, it's supposed to be spectacular, and someday I will I'll make a point to to get in there and experience it from the river. Mm. Um, you know, you get to see so much more of the canyon for sure. Um, and then um, and then in the summer months, I'll see some when the flows are lower. I'll see some of the um, more touring kayaks on occasion, like at, uh, shuttling certain sections. Um, and then, um, you know, you get uh, down towards the reservoir itself, you get the boating crowd, you'll get some of the uh, the, the uh, pontoon boats kind of going, spending uh, time along the, the northern edge uh, where the, the river is dumping into the reservoir, where it's deep enough for them to access. Um, and then there's folks who are, you know, exploring and trying to get to uh, one of a, a, a handful, I guess, of hot springs um, that are in the area. 
um, most of which really aren't great in terms of they're not developed or um, they're not very clean or, or they don't smell great, um, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, the, uh, I think a lot of folks that go in there, they just like to explore the old histories, find the old yeah. ranches, see the old, you know, rundown houses or find the old mines. Um, you know, there's, I run into folks who are just more interested in, in understanding uh, an important piece of history. Um, Silver City, Idaho is just over the border, and that's a uh, once a very important mining town. Um, and a lot of the travel through the Oahe Canyonlands was all about getting the ore out of Silver City and then down uh, through the corner of, of Southeast Oregon, down into Nevada, uh, to I guess Winnemucca and then and then out to one of the main train lines, and you know so there's there's these connectivity to history that that people really enjoy and they like to explore and see. Um, yeah, I think um, for for people that are not familiar with the area, once you see the pictures, it definitely kind of embodies that like cowboy spirit, old west. You see these kind of like sagebrush hills that just kind of give way to these jagged cliffs and, and canyon lands that are, you know, I, I, I was kind of when I was doing the research and when I drove through it recently, um, it's not what a lot of people think of when they think about Oregon or, or the Pacific Northwest. But obviously you guys have high desert there, desert and other stuff. Everything is in a temperate rainforest. Um, and like you said, there's a lot of history out there. Um, I do want to kind of talk about some of the other areas you kind of hit along the hot springs. I don't know if you're, if you're keeping a hidden gym secret and trying to dissuade people <laughs> from going out there. Um, have you ever been to devil's gate or, or to three fingers rock? I think it is. Yep. yep. Um, that's, that's a great route. Um, it's just to the North of, uh, um, Leslie Gulch. And I think it's in between that and sucker Creek. If I'm going uh, off the Sucker top of my Creek head. is off to the east. Sucker Creek is yeah. where, where, so the large majority of the people that are exploring the Oahe Canyonlands are coming out of Boise. Because yep. if you're living in Boise and you're an adventurer out of Boise. Or, or, or Boise, right? I recently learned it's Boise. That's right. <laughs> I was um, like, huh? <laughs> it's, uh, it's like two and a half hour drive from there. Um, yeah. Um, whereas out of Portland, you know, it's a good nine hours it's uh, that far yeah yeah wow i think that it's another two hours east this, of, it's another two hours leave at the same the time hour. and we'll get there we'll uh, we'll leave at the same time and we'll meet there yeah because yeah, i'm in the it, bay area so it really is um so you know it's most of the folks who are out there are coming out of out of you know the boise metro um or you know some other small towns that are around the region yeah, and so they're coming in uh, from the from the northeast, and Sucker Creek is their easiest access point. Yeah, and so on a map, uh, Three Fingers is not necessarily in between that and Leslie Gulch. It's to the it's to the northwest, but mm. uh, in terms of how they access it, it, it definitely is uh, kind of in between. And there are a couple different routes to get in. Um, one of the more fun routes is, is, uh, a, a, a rugged climb directly up from the, uh, from the reservoir, uh, to the Northwest. And that's one of my favorite routes in and out. Um, uh, 
but that whole area, um, everything from the access point off of Leslie Gulch Road um, or the access point from Sucker Creek, uh, that can only be attempted when it's good and dry. The mm -hmm. minute you get a little bit of moisture in there, all that bentonite clay turns to uh, slick. And, you know, we've had situations where it'll rain, it'll sprinkle on us overnight. We're, I don't know, three, four, five miles away from a gravel road. And, you know, what normally would take you 20 minutes, a half hour to get back to that gravel road turns into, you know, two and a half, three hours the next morning mm. with just, you know, with just, I don't know, half inch of rain the previous night because oh you're gosh. slipping and sliding. You've got no control and mud and is we're talking about that. We're talking about that, that, that desert mud. It, it seems to be like this everywhere across the, the West that just sticks, right? It yeah. won't. Yeah. My understanding is Scott, it's bentonite and it's, it's a clay that, that uh, is slick as snot when it's wet. And then as it starts to harden, it turns to concrete almost. Oh, um, man. The last time we had uh, a situation where we had a number of trucks that, that kind of had to slip and slide their way out. Uh, we had one vehicle. It was um, a Range Rover, supercharged Range Rover Sport or something with big 20-inch wheels. And he uh, got so much mud into his wheel wells uh, in, in the inside behind, uh, the wheel that, uh, the, the vehicle, once he hit pavement, it started to hop if he went over, uh, 50 miles an hour. And so he, oh my God. he had to pull over and spend almost an hour with a grill brush grinding the, the concrete out of the inside of his wheels, just wow. to try to get them to, to balance again, because you would start to add wow. all that dried weight. So, you know, it, it's definitely a challenge. And, one of the um there's there's only two real fuel stops in that area one is uh, jordan mm -hmm. valley and one is rome station and if you talk to the proprietor at rome station and he's a character um it's it's the gas station rv park re restaurant general store yeah. the only thing for and, and general store it's like the only thing for a 20 mile radius or something like that yeah um, if you talk to that gentleman he'll talk about it every year he gets to he gets to uh he also runs a tow truck and uh, i think he has a, a caterpillar that he uses to tow uh off-road because he'll have to take his caterpillar into the mud and pull somebody out and he'll talk about every year he gets a couple uh, folks who end up with, you know, a multi-thousand dollar recovery bill. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those situations where when you think about going into uh, the Oahe Canyonlands, especially people talk about how, oh, I want to get in there in the spring. It'll be so beautiful. Um, you got to really be cognizant of what the conditions can be like. You got to talk to those locals and um, really kind of think about where your risk level is because if you get yourself stuck in there you're going to be you're going to be hiking out yeah yeah I, I you know i think some people underestimate drive you know we hear people driving across the playa and black rock is, is a frequent one i'm sure it happens up at the alvord too yep. um but uh don't do it don't be that person unless you want to drop three thousand dollars to drop uh to get recovered out of there to so get a recovery yeah 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 i mean um, at at the Alvord, uh, the you know, part of the, part of the access points, the Alvord's owned by the Alvord Ranch, and and one of the uh, the ranch foremen 
there's this chatty guy and he'll often come out to to talk if you're camped near their property line and he's he said to our group more than once that you know we've got a tractor with a winch on it and it's got a thousand line cable thousand foot cable and you know and he he's like i can show you where that is and it's like i, I know it pretty well <laughs> he's like i know what i can recover and what i what will this leave until the weather dries out you know yeah. beyond wow. that point they just leave you and then so so some of the other stuff in the area i know i think a lot of the canyon lands formed by volcanic activity does that sound right that's correct um you have the jordan craters obviously over by jordan valley um pillars of rome over by rome station maybe you can talk and i think both of those especially pillars of rome given that it's right off the highway is very easy to access but maybe you can talk a little bit about each of those pillars unique. of rome is a is an eroded uh sand or sandstone type feature mm -hmm. um i won't jump and dive into geology but it's um it's a once and done kind of situation um, yeah it's amongst a bunch of uh farmers fields and you know it's interesting um but once you drive by it you won't come back to it um, whereas where <laughs> i think they're like 40 know, to 60 foot kind of whitish sandstone yeah. color or limestone colored pillars right I, I drove by them and i was like hey that's that's pillars of rome yeah um yeah <laughs> you know but that it's fine it's one of those things that you you see it and then you're like let's go find something else whereas there's <laughs> other places like you know, the coffee pot crater, which is part of that uh, Jordan uh, craters, that's interesting. It's beautiful, yeah. you know, and you can walk amongst it. You can climb up around the the, 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 the cone um, and then you can, you know, go follow some of the gullies where, you know, lava was flowing. It's, you know, visually very interesting. And then nearby is, is Oregon's second crater lake. So people talk oh, really? about how we have Crater Lake, and then some people think, oh, we have a second one, which is Little Crater Lake, and the little yeah. part of the name, and that's in the Cascades near Portland, near Mount Hood. Um, but on Google Maps, there is another, quote, Crater Lake, and that's in that Jordan Craters area. And I'll encourage you to go find it and explore it and see what you think about it. Hmm. Um, it's not not the one that you're thinking of when you're thinking of the endless deep blue uh water of course yeah and every once in a while a tourist sets google uh incorrectly and ends up going the wrong direction <laughs> <laughs> yeah good old google right getting That's people how stuck we found in the it. snow Some, somebody in a, in a prius was lost and they were saying we were coming from idaho and we thought crater lake was around here well it is <laughs> And it is just just not the one you want. <laughs> that was an that was an amusing amusing situation. You know, every time I'm out there, um, yeah, I think every single time I've been out there, we have found people who are lost. Even uh, pretty pretty well established adventurers like the dual sport uh, bike crowd that like to you know do the the backcountry discovery routes and are good at maps. There's just enough of old farm roads or mine roads or what have you people get themselves turned around and, mm -hmm. and get, get lost sounds like sounds like my type of place um really you know, fun. <laughs> yeah um you know what i heard i'm trying to remember the name of the national monument 
it's not lava beds or because that's down in Northern California by Modoc National Forest. There's mm -hmm. another one. Do you know what I'm talking about? I can't remember if it's in Wyoming, but it's like a big crater. And then I heard somebody that had been to that one and that had been to the Jordan crater one. They're like the one, the Jordan craters were way better with like a fraction of like barely anybody out there too. You so might be talking about over in, over in Idaho, um, out towards Ketchum, there's craters of the moon. That might be it. Yeah. And it's, it's much larger okay. than, than Jordan craters. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's got a Developed. tourism uh, yeah. draw, whereas Jordan Craters has nothing. I mean, yeah. there'll be times I visit it and we're the only people there or, or I'll see one other car. You know, there's there's really no one out there. You want me to zoom in on the map that you're sharing right now? Because I see you're kind of playing around over there. And Yeah, you go for it. Um, Let's I'll see what happens out. here. There we go. Look at that. Yeah, so I'll point out, yeah, Craters of the Moon over here in Idaho is, is quite, quite larger, quite a bit larger in terms of general area, but this lava bed here. And then where's the, the teapot crater? It's up at is, the, the North end, I think. Uh, it's kind of mid it's, um, it's south of, of the Oahe reservoir. Is it not in the, uh, the Jordan crater field? That's that's what this is. Yeah, and then where's the teapot in relation to Coffee that? Teapot crater is right on the edge of it. Yeah, so it's on the north end. That's what I thought. Yep. Yes. Yep. yep. It's on the northwest end, and it's really close to the access road that gets you into uh, Birch Creek Ranch, and that's to me one of my favorite areas of of um, the White Canyonlands that's accessible to most people. Um, Could as long you uh, as flip it over to terrain mode? I, I just feel like it would be super easy for people to kind of see. I mean, I love looking at it. And uh, yep, you're right. yeah, there we go. And then we can so see yeah, the you river look, really you know, you good gotta there. Drop down, you got to drop down into um, probably, you know, 800 to 1,000 feet in places in, into the canyon itself to, to access this historic ranch. And it's it's got what used to be an old you know working ranch and now they've stopped uh maintaining the fields other than just to um mow it back in the summertime and there's a small campground there um that is you know it's just a beautiful place to to camp amongst the canyon walls that one so is, does that mean uh is that a primitive campground or are we talking like fire pits and and uh uh, fire pits, or... uh, wood tables, and a pit toilet. Okay. Um, no charge that I remember. Yeah, no charge there. Um, and what sort of traffic does Birch Creek see compared to like Leslie Gulch, which is obviously going to... Oh, my God. Creek, Leslie Gulch, the campground, yeah, the campground at Leslie Gulch will be full um, almost anytime the weather is good. Um, whereas Birch Creek will be down there and there's probably eight official spots and then you could mm -hmm. camp in the fields or, you know, it'd, it'd probably fit, um, three or four times those numbers easily, but, uh, we'll be down there and we're usually either the only people there or there'll be a, a another group of, let's say hunters. Mind you, I wow. generally hit the Oahis in the fall because okay. I'm planning to 
you know, explore and go deeper. I want the weather to be dry and I want to be able to get across some rivers. Perfect. In the summertime, cool. it's just insanely hot. And you go, yeah, what are we talking about state. when we're talking triple digits or nineties? Yeah. Um, easily triple digits in the summer. Okay. And are we talking a dry heat or is it get humid up there? No, it's dry. It's dry. It's dry. Okay. Dry heat. <clears throat> but yeah, still, still hot, especially when you don't have anything to give you shade uh, out that way, which is, is yeah. typically the case, right? <laughs> and then, you know, because of the draw in a lot of these, in a lot of these aspects of the Canyonlands is, is the hiking. So if you're in, if you're doing Leslie Gulch, you know, that's a really short dead end road down to the reservoir. But the draw is a couple of the side canyons in there have some beautiful juniper hikes. gulch and the What's honeycombs that? or something yep. juniper gulch the honey, yeah juniper gulch and the honeycombs that's right and yeah that's phenomenal area um but it's hot and so if you're going to go yeah. in there on a on an overnight hike you know you've you've either got to be prepared to, to haul in a lot of water um or you've got to uh to really understand you know how to how to do it at the at the right time of day um, so, you know, it's one of those situations where shoulder season is more, most popular if you're going in to do any of the, the deeper backcountry stuff. Otherwise people are accessing Sucker Creek, uh, natural area, or they're accessing, um, some of the stuff to the uh, south of 95, like, like, uh, Three Forks itself. Uh, while the draw at Three Forks is the Warm Springs, it's that's actually a few miles from the Three Forks campground, where mm -hmm. um, the different branches of the river come together, and and that alone has uh, a draw and is often somewhat active. Yeah, and then uh, you said people go during the shoulder seasons. Obviously, river flows are going to be. Later, I, I assume precipitation is kind of a similar West Coast pattern where most of it's coming uh, late fall, winter, early spring. Is that kind of the, the pattern up that way? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, we're often guesstimating when we're going to get in there and we're trying to balance it with um, the end of the fire bands because these days, every year, we've got fire bands yeah. in the West. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the trying to get a good week, eight, nine days um, before the first rains hit. So, like, when I run a trip out there, I generally aim for, like, the last week of September as as a, a good Indian summer experience. Yeah. Um, you, are, you are running a trip there later this year, too, right? We are returning. It's been a few years. We've been... Um, We've been in different locations over the last couple of years for our annual fall trip. Um, this just did this last year in, in 21, we shot in uh, Southern Utah because we were shooting and adventuring directly after Overland Expo West, whose schedule had been impacted by COVID and moved mm -hmm. to September. Um, and then the year before that, we were down in Northern California and, uh, and in Idaho or in Nevada, um, in off the 395 and up into Black Rock. And so, yeah, every few years we we bounce around something else. But so this year we are returning to the Wahis. I'm um, nice. hoping I can drag you up there with us. 
Yeah, they, we got to see what the schedule looks like when we we talk this weekend about all that stuff. I would I would love to go up there, especially um, once I get the uh, the camper put on the truck, and I'm kind of giving away the secrets of what's going to happen. But I, I guess people are going to find out soon enough. I will be up in Bend, hopefully, assuming that that camper gets delivered up there in April. Although I keep getting emails, and it, it keeps feels like it keeps getting pushed three months out or three weeks. Four weeks. I'm in no rush, so it's not a big deal. Um, yeah, great. So, is there any other areas that you kind of want to talk about? Any? I know you kind of talked about uh, befriending local ranchers, uh, getting pulled out. Well, we talked about the Albert in terms of getting pulled out by a caterpillar and stuff like that. But um, any interesting experiences out there? You obviously have the dark skies. Uh, you can go hiking. Uh, you can go exploring because I think we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of miles of dirt tracks that you can go out there. But um, any anything else that you want to kind of share about the Hawaii's? Well, okay. So most people, when they think about the Hawaii's, they're really talking about the stuff between the reservoir and Highway 95. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so maybe you can share that really quick, just so kind of people. With uh, the exception get... of of Three Forks. Mm-hmm. So you see Highway 95 connecting yep. to Jordan Valley. Most everybody yep. is is north when they're exploring, and all of those yellow dots on on my map are things that I've I've visited or, or marked. But what is I that means in the Alverd to the far left over there. That's right. Yeah. Okay. What I like to do is create a loop that that crosses the border into Idaho and then pushes further south into Nevada. Yep, and and then comes back to Highway 95 in in Nevada near near the um, Indian Reservation at McDermott. Um, what this res- is what one reservation of the is that? What's that? What reservation is that? Um, is it Washoe or Fort McDermott Indian Reservation? Okay, interesting. Um, so this is one of the only areas in the Western U.S. that you actually need to have the second jerry can if you're going to do one of these deeper loops and so every few years i like to really go go deep and and get into this area because you really are remote you know every time we do it we don't see anybody else other than other than a couple of the remote ranches where people are flying in and out and they're always surprised to see us (laughs) <laughs> and um, so I think it's interesting because you have the the terrain version pulled up here on Google Maps. Um, if you look at it, it, you know, obviously Steens over to the left, um, to the west of the Alvar Desert, uh, rises up kind of out of the plains. And then we look at that section where Idaho, Oregon, and Nevada kind of meet. We'll call it three corners there. It's relatively flat. It, it doesn't seem to kind of have the same undulations or topography that you see in some of the, the more rugged Northern areas is that kind of, That's is right. that accurate? It, it's, it's rolling, but then it's yeah. cut, it's cut by the canyons. And so mm-hmm. um, you, you, to, to explore in there, it's, it's a lot of circuitous routing to, to get around a Canyon that's impassable for a vehicle. Yep. Um, and so that's what makes it, lengthy and that's what makes it remote and that's to me what makes it interesting um some years we 
loop it back to the 95 at McDermott. Other years, we take it due south into deeper into Nevada and connect to the town of Owyhee in Nevada and then on to Jarbridge or Elko. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a, a lot of open country in there that is pretty interesting. And, you know, for me, if, if I'm going to be, you know, doing overlanding or exploring, um, it's one of the only areas in the Western U.S. where you can really feel like you're you're out there being an explorer because often elsewhere like black rock or um, up, up any of the mountainous stuff off the 395 or um, anything in the cascades, you know, you, yeah. you end up running in traffic and, you know, other than a few hunters here and there, I don't run into anybody when I'm in wow. deep into the Southern Oahe. So for me, that's what I enjoy doing. I don't, I don't uh, encourage people to go to it unless they, you know, are smart about it. Unless they're prepared, they go in with multiple rigs. They go in with the redundancy and gear and fuel and satcoms and, you know, all the gear, all the stuff and all the education you'd need to, to get yourself back out again, because there is no help. Um, in yeah. there. None of that is um, patrolled by the BLM. Um, there's so few ranches still out BLM, there. Still BLM land down that way, right? Most of it, yes. Most of it. It is Nevada. It so is. I feel like most of Nevada is BLM land, it feels like. Yeah, we cut through another reservation called the Duck Valley Reservation right at the Nevada line sometimes. Um, but, you know, other other than a couple, uh, a couple of remote ranches, there's often nothing out there and it's just BLM land. So if you want to get out to the American Outback, go go south away away from kind of everybody is what you're telling us. If yeah. you want to get way yeah. out there, that's the way to go. And just uh, I don't think we have anything out that way. We did have something that kind of went out of the way that was based on an old dual sport track. We ended up kind of uh, turning it into an alternative route. Cause other than people like maybe like you and me, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how enticing it is to, to a lot of our audience. I'm going to go with like 5% or less. Maybe I'm wrong here. Um, right. if, if I'm wrong, that that's awesome. I think, um, one of the things that we're certainly trying to do with Overland trail guides and, you know, we feature, we definitely feature routes that see a lot of trail traffic, whether it's the lost coast, um, you know, there's places in the Sierra and the Cascades and stuff like that. But we definitely try to introduce people to out of the way places where they're not going to, you know, they're not going to run into all those people and hopefully alleviate some of the traffic that these other places that are, are experiencing overcrowding. Um, yeah, that, that is awesome. Um, there's just something about being in the middle of nowhere. And this is, this is why I've really taken to kind of like cold weather and winter camping just to go out there and you know i'm sure it's different when you're out in nevada but uh to know that there's not anybody within five miles of any direction of you is just really really awesome it is you know you just have to uh keep in mind those things when you're when you're preparing like you know to to have the right gear and have all the provisions because if you get yourself stuck you might be there a while yeah, um, the right and then the too. other thing to be thinking about out there is it's rattlesnake country. They are everywhere, and so you got to walk loud. 
you know, you got to be eyes wide open um, because if you if you get yourself bit, you're you're a long ways from help. Yeah, that's gonna be a painful ride to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, got to watch the dogs too. That's the one that always dogs and the kids. My, yeah, every time yeah. we're out there, it's you know we got to be really careful about the dogs and the kids. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, you know, we, we've been on here for a while. I think we've shared a lot of stuff. I don't want to cut you off if, if there's other things that you want to share or anything like that, but um, you let me, is there any other story you want to talk about places that you want to share? I'm, I'm sure there's some, some hidden gems that you probably don't want to share, which is all good as well. Um, there's always the hidden gems and I'll encourage people course. to find those on their own. Yes. You know? Yeah. We don't share everything. We don't share everything. We like people to go out there and adventure and then kind of make their own adventures. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And you know, I, I encourage people to go explore. Um, I'm going to encourage the, the listeners to, you know, to feel free to connect uh, with either one of us if uh, they want to dive deeper and, you know, get into not only the maps that OTG has available, but they want to start doing their own exploration. Um, you know, I'm a resource. Uh, while I, I don't uh, broadcast or geotag locations um, and share them on the internet, I'm I'm happy to you know share in in discussion with people that I I know are part of the tribe and are going to treat the land with the same respect uh, that I do. Absolutely. So Matthew, tell us. Uh... You know, I think you've shared a lot of great insights about the Hawaii's, but tell us why someone should consider heading to the Hawaii Canyonlands that uh, maybe has never been there. Like, why should they go there instead of the Cascades or the Eastern Sierra or wherever the heck they're? they're well, it's a different there. environment. You know, the Hawaii Canyonlands—they um, are Oregon's little Grand Canyon. Um, it is it it is a bit of the of the what you normally see in the desert southwest up in the Northwest. And it's really interesting in that sense. Mm -hmm. um, and there are other areas in the region that, you know, you and I will touch on, on, on future discussions, such as Hell's Canyon. Um, there, you know, there, there are lots of uh, variety throughout the Northwest that people don't really think about because when they, you know, when they look at uh, the magazines or the websites to talk about the Northwest, most of it's based on the coast or the Cascades. And, uh, and Eastern Oregon and Eastern Washington are generally left ignored. And, you know, the people that are out there enjoy that. Um, but you and I know there's, there's plenty to explore there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And hit us with your website one more time, just in case anybody is interested on uh, going on your tour. And just so folks know, you do run a number of tours. I know you have one in Baja coming up next month. It did sell out. So there's definitely high demand for these things. Um, That's where, right. Where can they check that out? Well, so we're technically a, a marketing agency. And so I don't advertise um, the tours in, a, in the traditional sense of, of having a tour guide website. Um, we bring uh, four to six trucks along with us uh, we try not to get more than seven or eight trucks in the trail together and so if someone wants to join us on one of our tours they're going to have to track me down um, through uh, the mangai Roland instagram page or facebook page or any of the number of groups that i'm involved with or through you directly um, but we're not at the point yet where we're selling seats or slots on a tour 
to the general public. And the biggest reason for that is the experience when we're out as a small group is is really vital to us. We want everybody to really connect and bond and to be a, a tight-knit group that enjoys each other's company, whether it's a four-day weekend or whether it's a you know two-and-a-half-week trip in Baja. It's really crucial that everybody really enjoy each other's company. Um, even when we're not shooting professionally, it's it's important that we just all enjoy ourselves. And so mm-hmm. we're not yet at the point where we're creating a situation where someone can hit a buy now button. We're more we're yep. more interested in getting to know people individually and then inviting them to join us. That is rad. I think that definitely keeps the quality of the experience up there and the quality of the people. Matthew, it's been great having you on. Um, so Matthew kind of alluded to future episodes. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about some other places in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, definitely have some cool episodes coming up. We kind of took a little bit of a break here. 2022, uh, people telling me Instagram and other places they want us to do these episodes again. So here we are. I think we're going to be talking uh, Hell's Canyon over by Snake River. Uh, probably talk about the Alvord Desert and Steens Mountain. And maybe we'll talk about some other places. Who knows? But make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, Thank you once again for coming on. Until next time, happy trails. And we'll catch you uh, when you tune in next. Cheers. Take care. Thank you so much.